Well, good morning to you all. You actually do outnumber the first service. A couple Sundays ago, it was the opposite way around. So thank you for coming. And it looks like we're fairly full in here. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that uh, um, first service, I went really overtime. I've cut out about 40% of the stuff. And uh, the sermon that I'm using today, 70% of it's based upon church renewal material. And I made that mistake. Now, if you didn't know, the Bible describes both preaching and teaching as separate gifts. And as you look in the book of Acts, when you look at some of the first sermons recorded, you will find that they were very, they, they did have a teaching component, but there's a lot of inspiration and challenge in them. Now, if you read a little further on in Acts, you'll find the Apostle Paul teaching, and you might remember, he taught all through the night, a guy fell out the window and died, and then they laid hands on him and he was healed and came back to life. That's teaching. Inspiration, lots of information. Well, first service, it was information. So if you like teaching, you might wanna go online and watch the first one, because I'm cutting a bunch of stuff out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such an important topic today, to talk about prayer. And uh, we're going to cover this in January in more detail in a number of sermons, but we just, God, I, I want to just lay down the groundwork today. I, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, there is a hunger that stirs it. People understand what the truth is and how you've actually designed things and what our plan, our purpose, what we're supposed to be doing. And I really pray, Father, that as we figure that out, it will move us out of whatever zone we're in that isn't praying. God, just inspire. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Now as I said, uh, or as I prayed, we're gonna be talking about prayer. And just to give a little bit of kind of groundwork, uh, one in, uh, people that call themselves uh, solid committed Christians, they attend church one month, or one Sunday out of four, once a month today. The people that call themselves committed Christians, most of them will admit that they may only pray once a week and read their Bibles once a week. Um, During COVID times, obviously, hopefully uh, they're at home reading their Bibles more because you're bored to death. Uh, during these times, or you're unemployed and you have lots of time, but maybe you're too depressed and don't want to read your Bible. But I just want to say that I I don't think where we're at as a church is in a good place. And I hope after this morning's sermon, hopefully it's inspirational and not just educational, but both. Hopefully after this morning's sermon, you are going to make some really radical changes in your life. Now we have been doing a series, Living Like Jesus. And I'm not gonna mention lots about Jesus and what he did, but if you've ever studied Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus withdrew from the crowds often to pray. He went to a lonely place. We know that on the cross, even on the cross while he was hanging in agony and pain, he prayed. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He even spoke to the guy to his right, left, and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
You see, Jesus had others in mind. He knew that this world had been marred and infected by sin, and he knew he was beginning a new thing. And you're gonna hear this morning what part you're to play in that. And I hope, well, I don't want you to feel too guilty. Yeah, I do, you want you to, whatever the Holy Spirit gives to you for guilt, you take that. In one of my churches, I had a guy, and he was struggling with self-esteem issues. And as I talked to him and talked to him and talked to him, it began to be very clear that uh, one of the roots of his self-esteem issues was he thought his dad hated him. Now, I knew his dad. He came to the church. I think his dad was about 73 at the time, still working full-time as a farmer. Farmers never die. They just get bigger tractors, I guess. But his dad, honestly, was the kindest, gentlest, sweetest man you could ever know. He had one little character flaw. And it wasn't that he ever got angry because he never did. It wasn't that he was ever a kind of person that put others down because he never did. He actually never talked. The only time I ever got him talking is I asked him about combines once. And then he talked for about five or 10 minutes. But generally it was like, uh, did you have a good sleep? Yes. Did you have a good day? Yes. Are you gonna go to bed now? No. I mean, that was what you got out of him. So what happened was his son began to fill in the blanks because of the lack of communication. And so I'll give you an example of something that's actually happened. The son was out cultivating the field with the great big implement behind him. And daydreaming, he wrapped the implement around a telephone pole. And in his mind, because he'd already decided what his dad actually was thinking and saying, because his dad never said words, he was like, oh, dad's gonna be furious. He's gonna just be so angry. So he walks all the way home, because the thing was wrapped around a telephone pole. Tells his dad, his dad has no reaction, zero reaction. His dad just walks out to the truck, gets in his truck, asks Paul to come with him. They drive out to the field, and uh, he unwraps the cultivator. He drives the tractor and the cultivator back to the farm, welds the cultivator up, looks at his son and say, there you go, you can go back out in the field. Now, what would you be thinking? I can tell you that when we don't know what people are thinking, when we don't know what words are in their head, especially if they haven't talked to us, we tend to fill in the blanks and we tend to do it in a real negative way, the worst case scenarios. And I've had to teach myself over the years, if I don't know what you're thinking, I'm not gonna try to figure it out. Even though, I mean, if you've said it or you've written me a letter or something, then okay, maybe I'll know. But if I don't know, I can't guess. I can't, because I'll tend to make it really bad. And I wanna say to you that our relationship with the Heavenly Father, we do not have a God who doesn't talk. So somewhere along the way, if you've gotten the idea that God does not want intimacy with you, please listen carefully. He wants intimacy with you so bad, he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, and he did it so you could be reconciled to him. And he has set it up now that we can start restoring what he originally planned here on the earth. He is setting up now that you and I would be part of the plan to start doing what he originally set up here on the earth. So point number one, why do we pray? 
we need to look at the necessity of intercessory prayer. And you may or may not know that prayer is critical. It is. If we believe that God is sovereign, then why is it necessary to pray? I mean, we've all thought that. Well, God's in charge of everything. Things are going to happen whether we like it or not. And if he's sovereign, why should we pray? Ray Dirksen, the founder of Church Renewal, said, I found out along the way that I was God's second choice for church renewal. God told me that, and then I met the guy that God had originally said, I want you to start up a church renewal ministry. And then it wasn't long after, I think it was just the last week or two, I read of another ministry where the guy made the same statement, I'm God's second choice in this ministry. We need to understand something, that God, for whatever reason, is using you and me to bring about his plan. The answer to God being sovereign, and why do we need to pray? The answer lies in God's original plan when he created man and woman. God delegated authority and responsibility for the care and governance of all creation to Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter one, verse 26 says, then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness, and let them, listen, Rule over the fish of the sea. Oh, you fishermen probably like that one. The birds of the air. Any duck hunters here? Over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God didn't give away ownership of the earth, but he did assign responsibility of governing it to humanity. And that is really key and important to understand. And it's humbling in a lot of ways. Genesis 2.15 the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Do you understand that? As such, Adam was to represent the will of God here on earth. How things went on planet earth, for better or for worse, depended on that first couple and their offspring. Didn't go so well though, did it? This is huge and a key reason for the necessity of prayer. Though God is sovereign, Though God is sovereign and all-powerful, he limited himself concerning the affairs of this earth to working through you and me. The Lord's Prayer, which is a great prayer, we are told in the Lord's Prayer that your kingdom, we're supposed to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done. Why would he want us to waste our time asking for something that was gonna happen anyways? Why are we supposed to pray a prayer like that, your will be done, your kingdom come? Why would we pray that if it's gonna happen anyways? Didn't he also tell us in the Lord's Prayer, ask for our daily bread, yet he knows our needs before we even ask? Didn't he also tell us to ask that laborers be sent into the harvest? But doesn't the Lord of the harvest want laborers even more than we do? In 1 Kings 17 and 18, we come across the story of, of Elijah. And Elijah the prophet, now you have to remember Elijah the prophet. This guy's had lots of interesting experiences. Uh, at one point, he thought he was the only guy left in the whole world that followed after God. I mean, this guy was, was human and normal. So we pick up and we read in, in James chapter five in the New Testament, gives us some insight to this story. We know that Elijah prayed that the heavens wouldn't rain in the land for three years, 
And after the three-year drought, God said to Elijah, jumping now back into 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. After the fire contest, if you've read that story, on Mount Carmel, Elijah prayed, and it rained. According to verse 1, whose idea and will was it to send rain? It was God's plan. But it required Elijah's perseverance, and I want to add the word intercessory prayer in there, to enact God's will here on earth. It was God's plan, but we are the ones, the ambassadors here on earth, to enact God's plan. James chapter 5, verse 17 puts it this way. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. Did you hear that? He was a man just like us. A lot of us, did you think he was 10 feet tall? Walked on water, he wasn't, he was just like us. Did he ever sin, was he ever discouraged? We know he was, the scriptures teach us us. The Bible says he was just like us and yet he accomplished this unbelievable accomplishment. So how did he do it? He prayed earnestly. He prayed once, then he sent his servant to look. The servant came back, said, no cloud. He prayed again, and then he sent his servant out, and the servant came back and said, nope, nothing. He prayed a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth time, and a sixth time, still no cloud. Each time he went back to prayer, even though it didn't seem like anything was happening because he knew God had told him, pray for this rain to come. <coughs> the seventh time he prayed, the servant came back and said, I see a cloud the size of a fist. Look at Elijah's response to that. Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. I don't know if that would be your response. It wouldn't have been my response. A puffy little white cloud flee before the heavy rains overwhelm us. It's kind of hilarious if you look at it. First Kings 18.45 says, Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. This isn't just a cute bedtime story about fire coming down from heaven and consuming the waterlogged sacrifice of the altar or about praying for a drought or praying for rain. No, this was about advancing God's kingdom. How did the people respond to God's spectacular manifestation when it was all said and done, when, when the rains came? First king, oh, my laptop just did something weird. Laptop, iPad. Somebody's gonna to explain to me, why does it always jump to the top? Now I lost myself. Go present yourself to Ahab, James. Read that, read that. Oh, here we go. How did the people respond? When all the people saw this, when they saw the rains come, and remember this is something God asked him to pray for, and he did it seven times, all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. That's what it's all about. 
And all because Elijah enacted God's will through persistence or intercession. We need to understand some things will not move until we pray. Some things will not happen in our country until we pray. Our prayers do make a difference, a huge difference. It changes everything. But we have a problem in the church today. The world, and Christians too, see terrible things going on and ask, why isn't God doing something about all this? But from God's perspective, he's looking down and he's astonished that there's no one interceding. And he asks, where are the Christians? How can they be doing nothing? Going to church once a month, praying once a week, woo! Honestly, God moves in the affairs of mankind according to the degree we pray. This is your, your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your grandparents, your friends. And how specifically we pray really does matter. He is fully willing to answer your prayers and he is full of love. We must know without a doubt that prayer changes things. Did you know that God even tells us what to pray for? It's in his word. And so few of us even read our Bibles or even look to see, hmm, what should we, you know, pray that the harvest fields or that the, the harvesters go into the harvest fields or, or, or pray for the lost or, or pray for boldness. Paul asked, uh, he said, pray that I might have boldness. Now Paul to me seems so bold. Prayers of faith are not praying once, but praying through what God has called you to pray for. Your heavenly Father desires to answer your prayers, so keep on asking until he tells you to stop praying. So secondly, when we look at the whole topic of prayer, God offers to keep on answering and answering and answering. Luke chapter 11, verse nine, we come across this really incredible some call it a poem. It's in the whole midst of a whole bunch of other poems. So I say to you, here it comes, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who, finds, who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. There's three verbs there. The first one's ask. When was the last time you asked for something that someone else can provide? And in our case, obviously, it's God. God can provide. I know personally I've asked for food and clothing when I've had none. I've asked God for a car when I was first married. I went to a seminar and the guy started talking about praying for a car and I thought, well, that's ridiculous. And I thought, you know, God, I don't know, maybe. And it wasn't long after a friend, I was having lunch with me, he goes, I got this spare car, do you want it? I told you a couple of weeks ago that when I was in Tumblr Ridge, we didn't have a building and I, the furniture store closed down and I walked around it and said, God, can this be ours? And fortuitously, is that a word? I had an appointment when my wife had an ultrasound in Dawson Creek, the owner of the building was doing the ultrasound. He asked to talk to me. The second verb in this passage is seek. Seek for what was lost. 
Have you prayed for something you've misplaced? It's lost, you just can't find it. I remember preaching a sermon in my first church, very young preacher, and I remember I'd lost a set of keys and I said, God, can you help me find my keys? And I just had the sense to reach under a desk at a little opening and there was my keys. Don't know if I kicked them under or the kids, I don't know. I remember telling the story in church and one of the guys came up to me afterwards and he said, do you really think God cares about your keys? That's ridiculous, just go find your keys. I really believe God cares about your keys. Have you lost a wallet or luggage or something else valuable? Ask, he'll see you through. I ask weekly for ideas and thoughts for sermons. And this is one of the unfortunate parts. I seem to get the answers when I'm in the shower. I've been working through that for a long time. Am I so filled with stuff, my head's going, and I finally start relaxing with the hot water. It's really inconvenient, by the way, because there's nowhere I can write it down, so I'm usually yelling, Carolyn, Carolyn, my wife, come here, come here, can you write this down, please? I got this verse, or I got this idea, or I got this thought, it's gonna fit so perfect. I wanna be honest with you guys. I've frettered many years away due to my lukewarm faith. Much time has been lost. I don't know, how about you? Seek the Lord for how he can restore some of what the locusts have eaten. Ask him to show what you can do. There's one more verb there, the word knock. There's a lot of times when a door just isn't open. There's something you need and you just need to knock. You just need to ask. There's so many things. I know ever since Tristan came back from Turkey, he was asked not to return when he tried to get back in. I've been asking God, can you open the door to Turkey for us again? Can we send somebody, whether it's Tristan or somebody else, to go finish the work there that's been going on for at least 40, 50 years? It's having some fruit. But right now, that door is slammed shut. I've been praying for Turkey. <coughs> All three verbs in the Greek, when you look at the actual Greek words, the real deep meaning to those Greek words is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It might appear to some that what Jesus is getting at is persistence, and though persistence isn't wrong, I think the context here would point us in another direction. I believe that what Jesus is saying is that the appeals of asking, seeking, and knocking to God will work again and again and again and again. You'll just keep on receiving, you'll keep on finding, you'll keep on having doors open to you and apparently that's been a problem in the church for a long time over the years. James chapter four, written, oh, within the first 50, 70 years of the church starting, he says these words, you do not have because you do not ask God. There's one more thing we must not overlook. This passage says, everyone who asks, seeks and knocks, will receive. This isn't just a promise for the mature or holy or the long-term Christian. This is a promise for all believers. What are you waiting for? 
Little wonder this little two-verse poem is often considered to be the centerpiece of the four messages Jesus delivered on prayer. And I want to give one little caveat, though. Of course, asking for the wrong sort of thing will not get us anything from God because God desires to give us good things, and we'll see that next in point number three. God desires to give us good gifts. The second poem says that God not only desires to give, but to give good gifts. Luke 11, 11 says, which of you fathers, if you, your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Now in the Middle East, fish were a main food. Scorpions and snakes you try to avoid. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, this is a huge thing. I mean, we could focus probably three sermons on the Holy Spirit and what he means to each one of us as followers of Jesus, how the Holy Spirit is said to be our counselor, the one who gives us power, the one who actually guides us and speaks to us. But two points can be drawn from this passage. First, if an earthly father will only give appropriate gifts to his son, how much more will a heavenly father give appropriate gifts to his children? And secondly, if an earthly father will give good gifts to his son, how much more will the heavenly father give gifts to us, his children? Paul, expressing a similar thing in his letter to the Roman, asks the supreme rhetorical question. He who did not spare his own son, but gave up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I, I think the point is well taken, don't you? If God the Father will even give his own son, then is there anything in the entire world he wouldn't give for us? Of course, it can't be a scorpion or snake, right? Something that would hurt us. Our God is not a miser. He promises to continually give us good gifts. And I think we need to end with one last point, and it's even a bigger caveat. There actually is boundary markers for answered prayer. There are boundary markers, because a lot of people can read these verses and go, well, I'm gonna ask for a, a Lincoln or a Porsche or a, I don't know, a big house or a pretty wife. Well, you already got a wife. Well, I want a prettier one. And we think, well, God's gonna give me. I actually heard somebody that divorced their wife, a Christian man, and said that God gave him a prettier wife. And it's like, listen to these markers, listen. From what Jesus said about the prayer above, it might appear that prayer is a blank check from God. We would be wrong to conclude that. Three conditions implicitly in the Lord's Prayer set out boundaries for what guarantees the answers to our prayers. We'll read the Lord's Prayer in a moment, but marker number one, you all know the Lord's Prayer. I hope you do. It must not dishonor God is marker number one. In the Lord's Prayer, we're told to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Surely then, God would not grant petitions that would be at a cross purpose with his glory. Like if you said, I want to be greater than you, God. Well, he's not gonna answer that. That's like giving you a scorpion. Marker number two, it must not impede his higher kingdom person, uh, higher kingdom purposes. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructed us to pray, your kingdom come. 
Again, if that is how he wants us to pray, then he won't grant requests contrary to that. In other words, if your riches or your second wife or whatever you think that you need to have, you're praying that. If it gets in the way of God's kingdom coming, you're not going to get that. Marker number three. Oh, did it again. I'll throw it on the floor and start stomping on it. Here we go. Marker number three. It must not hurt us ultimately. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray and lead us not in temp into temptation. In other words, it becomes even more explicit in this second poem of the three prayer messages in Luke that anything that we get that can cause us to be overwhelmed or hurt us isn't what God wants for us but those things will and may come. If sinful human fathers wouldn't give bad or hurtful gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father not give bad gifts to you? In fact, he'll even give you his best gifts. Now just to kind of set this all home and understand it really well, I pastored in Looseland, Saskatchewan. It is the home to Jimmy Patterson. He was born there. And uh, while I was pastoring there, he came, he came back to Luceland, and I, a whole bunch of reasons, I can tell you privately why I think he came there, but uh, he came to Luceland, we had a big banquet for him. I got to spend about 20 minutes chatting with him. And as I was chatting with him, I, it, if you know me, I had lots of interesting things I asked him, but one of the things I asked him was, uh, like I asked him, what church did you go to? And then he told me that, and uh, I said, I'm just kind of curious, because I had, my kids weren't even teenagers yet. I said, uh, I said, do you give your kids everything they want? Anybody surprised what his answer would be? If, especially if you know how he ran his car dealerships. He said, absolutely not. He said, I pay for them to go to school. They have to buy their own cars, though. I don't even help them out to buy it. And I said, do any of your kids work for you? He goes, yeah, I have one son that works for me. Oh, I said, you gave him a job. Nope, nope, he applied, he got the job. I said, oh, where does he work? And he goes, oh, I, I think he's in the mail room. It was something like that. And I said, well, wow. I, I said, you're not grooming your children to take over? He goes, nope, they need to figure out things on their own. You see, even Jimmy Patterson understood that God has everything, the cattle on a thousand hill, but there's things that can ruin you. It can stop the kingdom. It can stop you praying for the kingdom. There's something else we need to be crystal clear about. When we say that God will not give us that which will hurt us, we are not saying that it isn't God's will for us to suffer, suffer in this lifetime. On the contrary, God often allows such things in our lives to grow the kind of character that will result in much fruit and reward for eternity. So here we have it. Whatever we pray for must fall between these three boundary markers. It must not dishonor God's name. It must not impede his kingdom purposes, and it cannot hurt us ultimately. So before we end this topic, I want to address just a few objections that some might raise. So then, in this fourth point, why don't we pray? And 
This is where I cut my sermon a lot. I have three reasons why many of us don't pray. First of all, pride. First of all, pride. Right from the Garden of Eden, I can do it myself. I don't need God. I'm gonna eat from that tree. I'm gonna do whatever I want, however I want, where I want, and nobody's gonna tell me otherwise. So our pride often keeps us, I, I don't need God. I got a good job. I've worked hard, look at my house. The second reason, and, and even when it comes to evangelizing our children, we try to manipulate and figure it out, and we'll give them money. If you come to church, I'll buy you a car. Talk to Jimmy Patterson about that. Second of all, we don't pray because laziness or distractions. You know, the worst experience I've had in a long time was when I went to stay with my wife in a cabin near Jasper. There was no radio stations, no TV stations, no cell phone coverage. All they had on the wall was a phone that was hooked to wires. I spent three days there, asked my wife, I was bouncing off the walls. Oh, it was good for me though, there was no distractions. I could pray and read my Bible, and there was nothing that got in the way of that. So, do you have too much pride? Are you lazy and distracted? And thirdly, is it unbelief? Do you believe that he wants to answer your prayers? Jesus is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He often went away and prayed. He was showing us an example. Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Jesus wants us to pray. I've seen an interest in intercessory prayer rising in this church. You know, I, I, last week, so I've been asking for prayer before the services. We were meeting before pre-two services. We were starting at, I think, 9.15, or, and we would pray till 10 now. We're meeting, no, it was 8.30, 9.30 now. Don't remember any of these times. It'll just confuse you because we're gonna even change them. So we've been meeting at 8 a.m. Sunday morning. Last week I had one person or two people showed up. It was discouraging. And uh, I didn't do anything. I prayed, God, would you bring more people? This morning 12 people showed up. And I was so thrilled. And so just to make it easier for you, if you want to pray for the services, I'm going to lead a prayer time at 8, and then the intercessory prayer team is going to lead a prayer time at 9, likely in the gym. That's where we're doing it right now. And man, like... If, if you're going, Pastor Anthony sucks, his preaching's awful, maybe you gotta go pray. Maybe that's the reason I suck. Because you've been praying for me. You ever thought of that? Or you're going, this church needs revival, there's so many people sinning. Maybe you need to come pray. At our first prayer summit, uh, what did we have, 14 people? I was hoping for 50, but maybe I had way too much faith. Can I invite you to the table of God? Today I started this message talking about my friend who had a dad who would not talk. And honestly, he had no idea who his dad was. He just didn't know. I remember even talking to the wife of this guy. She didn't even know what her husband, she told me stories. But the Bible says in John 10, 27, this is Jesus' words, my sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Again, my greatest fear in my whole life when I pray, preach sermons on prayer is I often wonder what has not happened 
in my ministry, in my children, in my grandchildren, in my mom and dad who have passed away now, in my brothers and sisters, in my friends I grew up with. I wonder what has not happened because I haven't asked, because I haven't prayed, because I haven't talked to God. I don't even know his voice, right? If you don't talk, if you don't read the Bible, I mean, Satan could come along masquerading as an angel of light and you'd swallow up everything he said. Do you know who God is? Do you know and understand what his voice sounds like? Do you know his love? I mean, God will convict you of sin, absolutely. Difference between God and Satan, God will convict you of sin which leads to repentance, which leads to life. Satan will convict you of sin and say you're a loser, you're hopeless, you'll never be anything. God knows you by your name. Satan knows you by your sin, and that's what he calls you out on. So in conclusion, are you ready to start praying? It's a little bit of a discipline. You have to actually set a time. You know, I, uh, I should do this. I, I, one of my medications, I had to change the evening. I realized for 20 years I've been taking it in the morning, and then I read what the pharmacist gave me. And I found out pharmacists actually are there for a reason. I thought they discounted pills. I said that to a pharmacist once, it didn't go over well. And the pharmacist had written the note, take this in the evening just before you went to bed. And I thought, how will I remember that? And I went, wait a minute, I tell people all the time, you know, your Bible's on your phone. Well, I'm gonna set an alarm. Well, maybe set an alarm to pray. Set an alarm for every day that it comes up, it'll drive you nuts, that 10, 8, 10 p.m. Take your pill. I want to throw my phone across the room sometimes, but I take my pill. Why? Because it's what I'm supposed to do to keep me alive. It's a cholesterol pill. Keeps my arteries from clogging. How about the prayer pill? <laughs> Keeps your soul fed. Keeps your family being transformed. Keeps your house full of food. Keeps your neighbors coming to Jesus. Starts to change your heart, which changes your country's heart, which changes your prime minister's heart? Are you willing to own and repent of your excuses? I'm going to ask us, just, just before we take communion, just for two minutes, just to be quiet, and I'm going to pray, and then I want you to listen. And God will often give you a scripture verse, a song, a picture. Some people say, all I got was silence. And I, I say to people like that, one of the best ways to break silence is start praising God. Even pray the Lord's Prayer if you know it. Start thinking it through. But let's just sit in quiet, just for two minutes. Heavenly Father, as we stop in quiet, we want to hear your voice. I believe this message of prayer is your message. It's in the scriptures. And I believe that you have made us ambassadors here on earth, your ambassadors. I believe things will happen when we ask them to happen. And just like Elijah, you've probably been telling a few of us what we need to be praying about, the neighbor, the child, the grandchild. And then we wonder, why is my world, why is my country, why is my province such a mess? Why does my pastor not seem to be exciting and excited? Oh God, let us pray. We want to hear you.
Amen. Did you know there's a psychological disorder that's unique to North America? I forget what the name of it is, but the symptoms are that you actually can't stand quiet. We can't stand quietness. How can God speak to us if we don't learn to be quiet? We are so distracted. We are so proud. We just don't have the belief. Let's start changing that. Let's be people of prayer. I'm going to end with a little different verse today, and it's the one I've already read from John 10, 27, and it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Fellowship and peace.